Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, October 25th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, GM sees record revenue in the third quarter. Hyundai breaks ground on its $5.5 billion U.S. EV plant. And Bosch expands its U.S. plant to produce more EV motors. Plus, a look at auto supply and demand with LMC Automotive President of Global Forecasting, Jeff Schuster. We don't think we're going to be able to say we're out of this and back to normal really until sometime in 2024. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. General Motors says its net income soared 37% in the third quarter to $3.3 billion. That's as improved truck production and rising prices helped the automaker generate record revenue. GM's global revenue rose 56% to almost $42 billion in the quarter. Adjusted earnings before interest and taxes rose 47% to more than $4 billion. GM shares rose 3.6% to $37 in morning trading. Hyundai breaks ground on its $5.5 billion EV and battery plant near Savannah, Georgia today. Hyundai plans to begin commercial production in the first half of 2025 in the massive plant in Bryan County, which will have an annual capacity of 300,000 units. The groundbreaking comes amid complaints from Korea and the European Union over U.S. electric vehicle tax policy. The Inflation Reduction Act requires EVs to be assembled in North America in order to qualify for U.S. tax credits. Hyundai and its affiliate Kia were excluded from the EV subsidies because they don't make EVs here. Analysts cited concern over Hyundai's U.S. EV sales under the new regulations when the company announced quarterly results on Monday and also contributed to its shares falling. German supplier Bosch says it will spend more than $260 million to expand production of electric motors at its U.S. plant. This month, the factory in Charleston, South Carolina, began producing e-motors, which are critical parts for electric vehicles. They will supply the Rivian R1T pickup, but Bosch said it has secured additional electromobility business that requires an expansion. The investment will add about 75,000 square feet to the plant's footprint by the end of 2023 and cover the purchase of manufacturing equipment. The new business comes as Bosch invests heavily in its electrification offerings worldwide and regionally. The company has spent about $6 billion over the past few years to boost its EV-related products. And Toyota has humble expectations in the U.S. for the 2023 Toyota Crown. The brand's new lifted fastback-shaped sedan replaces the Avalon in the automaker's lineup. It's returning what is considered one of the brand's most storied nameplates in Japan to the U.S. for the first time in 50 years. Toyota says it expects to sell only about 20,000 crowns in the U.S. per year. That's significantly less than the number of Camrys the brand sold just in the month of September, almost 28,000. Toyota expects the crown to begin arriving in U.S. dealerships next month. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, those GM Q3 sales numbers are looking really, really good. Do you think just the truck revenue was pulling the weight? Well, the trucks are a really big part of it, both on the revenue side and, and the profit. You know, if you recall back in the second quarter, there were almost 100,000 vehicles that uh, GM wasn't able to book as sold. They were missing some microchips and some key components. 
this quarter, about three quarters of those got processed and pushed along. That's a big boost to revenue with very little expense attached. I see. Coming up, we'll hear from LMC Automotive President of Global Forecasting, Jeff Schuster, about where things stand with supply and demand and how soon things will look more normal in the auto industry. That's next on Daily Drive. Slate Money is a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance. Hosted by Felix Salmon, Elizabeth Spires, and me, Emily Peck. Confused by crypto? Can't keep up with the metaverse? Wondering why the price of just about everything keeps rising? The Slate Money podcast is here for you. Listen to Slate Money every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Automakers can't make enough cars and trucks to sell. That's been the story of the auto industry for the last couple of years. But how long will that be the case? I spoke with Jeff Schuster, president of Global Forecasting for LMC Automotive, about where things stand now and whether supply is finally catching up to demand. Here's our conversation. Jeff Schuster, welcome back to Daily Drive. Thanks, Jamie. Great to be with you. So I'm really excited. I'm excited by the progress I keep seeing month by month in the production numbers here in North America. I know still some challenges in China and, of course, Europe, but you know, North America really seems like it's getting going. Uh, I was just looking in the Automotive News Research and Data Center. September production in North America was up 40% to more than 1.3 million vehicles. That's pretty good. It seems like a pretty good run rate, but is it is it still a little soft? It is. It is. Um, I, obviously, we're going back to September of last year, hit really hard by the chip crisis. Uh, so you've got a low base. I guess the good news is progress. The industry is definitely making progress. It's an improvement. But yeah, we're still trekking well below what, say, call it pre-pandemic or pre-chip crisis levels were. We've got a little ways to go to, to get back up to there. Should we be looking for more like one and a half million a month out of North America? Yeah, I think um, a month or a quarter, we look at it from a quarterly level. Okay. On, on a quarterly basis, the industry, North American markets struggled to really break through the threes. So three, about three, four, three and a half was the, the run rate in the first half of the year. We're looking for that to improve in the third and fourth quarter and, and September's on track for that. So the third and fourth quarter around three, seven. But when we came out of the the first lockdown and the industry kind of hit the ground and, and really took off and in the fall of 2020, we hit a third quarter was at 4 million. And that's really to, to get this inventory built back up and to really find out again where true demand is, we need to get back to those levels and we're just not quite there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like if we could get at least to there, we we could really see. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of demand. I want to get to demand later. There's one more thing on the yeah, supply yeah. side. I'm trying to make sure... I understand appropriately where we are in the recovery cycle, right? Because on the one hand, you know, we clearly see most plants are running. Most of them are running two shifts. Some are running three. But we also hear from executives who are saying, you know, chip shortage is going to last into 2023, maybe through 23 and into 24. Where's the reality here? I, I think you've got both realities are, are true. And we expect as we continue through the remainder of 2022 and through 2023, I, I think you're going to see a gradual improvement in supply and in just getting parts of parts shortage 
isn't going to go away. We don't believe in 2023. But the impact on the industry and the, the ability to really meet demand and to get those greatly depleted inventories uh, back at least to a, a level that can service really the consumer, it's going to take the balance of 23 to get through that. So we don't think we're going to be able uh, to say we're out of this and back to normal uh, really until sometime in 2024. And then you're, you know, you're playing the supply and demand issue as well and in, in, in really finding that balance. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, there was a lot of incentives provided by the, the CHIPS Act to increase manufacturing, but that's not going to happen until after we've already solved the problem, at least in the, <laughs> in the immediate term, maybe makes the, the supply chain more robust going forward. I think it helps uh, certainly in, in the medium term uh, so that these issues don't uh, come back to haunt the industry. But yeah, you're absolutely right. The crisis will likely be over before that provides much relief. So as we start to see supply ticking back up closer to a normal level, uh, maybe within 10% or so, 10 or 20% of normal, where's demand? You know, it seems like we've had shockingly strong demand given all the headwinds, all the challenges that economic activity has faced from the start of COVID and the lockdowns through the chip shortage and everything else. And it seemed like, you know, there was a lot of pent up demand, obviously people buying higher priced vehicles than ever before. But now we're facing some economic concerns. We are looking at higher interest rates, the risk of the Fed bringing on a recession. What's your sense of where pent-up demand is? If we could make 17, 18 million vehicles next year, could they get sold? Great question, because that is something, obviously with supply, I mean, I think we can state supply is still well below where demand would be. But you have all of these factors that you just mentioned. So interest rates, you have vehicle pricing is still a big issue. So inflation, the inflationary pressure on the consumer, not only with vehicles, but just in general, that is all in the economy as a, as an, a current, an undercurrent there, kind of setting the, the stage. But the, the consumer's been resilient and the demand has still been there. I think if you put in the context and, and if we look through, so 2020 through 2022, so let's just call this a finished year. We're close. Um, <laughs> the industry lost about 8 million units uh, cumulatively from where demand, and that's just saying uh, hover hover around that 17 million unit mark and and call that pre-pandemic demand. So if you take that industry loss, about 8 million units, and some of that arguably permanent or or at least a long-term loss uh, is going to be with us. So it's somewhere in between zero and 8 million <laughs> is, your, is your pent-up demand. I, I'd say half of that is probably... Uh, obviously, we've we've fed some of it, but I think half of that will come back into the industry. So could we could we hit a 17 if we had the the volume? I think right now possibly, but I think we're now starting to see those other factors that you mentioned that that pressure on consumers to start taking over. So we're that that balancing that I talked about earlier between supply and demand. I think that's starting to actually happen where some consumers have been squeezed out of the market. We've shrunk the new car market with pricing and interest rates. Yeah, that will uh, will shrink the demand. So it's a pretty, um, you know, fluid situation. I think, you know, one of the places there is clearly excess demand is for premium EVs. I mean, probably EVs generally, but most of them that exist on the market are <laughs> are premium vehicles. 
And what we keep hearing from, you know, from executives, from dealers, they can't make enough. They can't get their hands on enough of them. Uh, we had Audi of America President Daniel Weisland on last week. He said, we really don't know how big the market is, how big the demand is for premium EVs. All of his dealers are telling him they can sell two, three, four times as many as they're getting. How do you look at that? Does that indicate a significant upside to the EV market or are there still some bigger challenges out there? Well, you know, I think one way to look at it is that that's probably a statement you could use almost with any vehicle right now, just because the short supply. So, and you could, because of pricing, you could almost look at the entire market as a premium market right now. I think there's some, <laughs> you know, when you're looking at transaction prices north of 45,000 on average across the industry, you know, you're in, you're in the premium, premium segment for sure. So not to take anything away from premium EVs, because I think there is demand, obviously. And I think if there were more vehicles available, uh, the industry would certainly sell more. But I also think the statement of not knowing where that demand fully is, is, is accurate as well, because we're still in the early stages of this transition. And I think as, as the industry progresses further towards EVs, and uh, obviously the, there's a lot of focus in the premium market, and that's going to be a very competitive uh, segment of the EV market. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Where it ultimately ends up and how consumers behave is, uh, you know, it's probably going to vary across the country. And certainly in a situation, do you have a charging unit at home? You know, it, so it's going to be an individual decision, but I think the market is in that transition. So the growth opportunity is going to get stronger, I think, even as we progress through this over the next few years. Of course, one big advantage for those uh, luxury EV buyers, they probably own a home with a garage yes. where they can charge at home. And I think a lot of people, once they wrap their head around that, it's like, yeah, range anxiety, you know, shmang's anxiety. It's just, <laughs> you know, just if you're only driving it anywhere that you're going to get back to your home that night, it's just not really an issue. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're, and I think you're right. I think w once it becomes part of the routine, that issue of just worrying about, uh, about having enough charge for your daily commuting, I think isn't going to be an issue. It's the use of a vehicle on, on say a road trip or a longer period that I think is still going to be challenging for the EV industry right now until that infrastructure is improved. So before I let you go, I do want to at least touch on kind of the, the EV market for maybe I should say, if not the rest of us, at least the rest of us who are um, owners of single family homes with garages. Because the EV incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act, of course, largely went away as soon as the president signed it into law and vehicles made outside of North America stopped being eligible. Next year, GM and Tesla are back in the game, but we also will have these rules about sourcing of battery components and the critical minerals. Does LMC have a, a forecast or an estimate of how much of the EV market will be eligible, will get 3750 or the full $7,500 from in federal support? Honestly, Jamie, that is the question of the day right now as we look at where this market is going under the under the act and who's eligible, uh, not only from a manufacturing <laughs> standpoint, but from a consumer standpoint. I think more importantly is how are you going to prove it? How is it going to get police? The visibility to supply chain, even for us in the industry, it, it just isn't there, honestly, to know all the nuances of, of where each of the, the components and sourcing is coming from down to this level, which in some cases can include raw materials, obviously, for the batteries. It's going to be an interesting one on how this is dealt with from, are we going to leave the industry on the honor system? I, I highly doubt that's going to be the case, um, but certainly something to watch. The 
people trying to write the rules and enforce them, you know, have my sympathies. I guess so do the people trying to live under them because it's going to be such a difficult puzzle to solve. Very interesting times ahead. Indeed. Jeff Schuster, president of Global Forecasting for LMC Automotive. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks very much. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on auto supply and demand, earnings results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with the CEO of Research Frontiers, which makes the standout four-quadrant roof for the new Cadillac Celestic. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.